Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And we also have a special guest host this week, Matt Wilbeson, the author of The Demon in the Glass. And he also does the Grindcast podcast, and he's about to start a new podcast called Ghost Writers Podcast. And he was a part of the horror show with Brian Keene. We're really excited to have him with us tonight, and we're going to be speaking to a returning guest, Daniel Brom, who has a new short story collection out called Underworld Dreams, which is out now through Lathe Press. So how are you doing tonight, Daniel, and uh, welcome back. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Anytime. And how are you doing, Matt? Um, have, are you excited to be on the show on this uh, brand of madness? <laughs> I, I'm doing. I'm so excited. I almost took a wicked crunchy in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that, or it could be all the Mountain Dew uh, Voodoo 2020 edition I'm drinking. I'm not sure. Oh, that stuff is so good. I just had one the other day. It's Skittles. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm not that. usually a soda drinker, so it's kind of like it's giving me the third wind I needed today. <laughs> yeah, oh, especially to not oh. planning on sleeping, but yeah, you probably would be asleep without it. So okay. yeah, definitely would. Um, yeah, Mountain Dew, that's like the highest caffeine in the world of any beverage I can. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's up there. Yeah, yeah I think it is. I think the only thing that might beat it is like some kind of ancient Chinese secret, but. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be up there. Oddly enough, Dr. Pepper beats it. Isn't this an intellectual conversation we're having here, you guys? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Daniel, um, you were you were on the show with us in um, episode 12. Um, but if you could just give a brief introduction, you know, for people who may be new to this show. Um, sure, yeah, I'm uh, Daniel Brom, um, the author of uh, the short story collections, uh, The Night Marchers and Other Strange Tales from uh, Cemetery Dance, um, uh, The Wish Mechanics, Tales of the Strange and Fantastic from Independent Legions, and uh, Underworld Dreams, which just came out uh, from uh, Levee Press. And um, yeah, I think I was on... I. Time is so fluid, but yeah, I think I was also on to talk to you about The Serpent Shadow, which was my first uh, longer work um, uh, out from Cemetery Dance. So yeah, I'm a writer of short stories that are mostly um, Twilight Zone, Strange Tales, uh, sort of the quiet horror angle. Yeah, and if you guys haven't read The Serpent Shadow, um, unfuck that really quick, because that's a super, super good book. All right. So I was actually telling the listeners, but you too, Matt. <laughs> I, I'm gonna write a little note down right now. <laughs> it did seem very directed, didn't it? Yes, it did. It, <laughs> I see his little like avatar with the shades on, and he's just like, "Read the fucking book, Matt." <laughs> <laughs> I think we're gonna get along, Matt. You should just join this fucking show. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. We cuss a lot. Oh, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to restrain myself from talking about caffeine. I think I, I all my Facebook posts lately about or how I've uh, 
pretending that I actually am married to caffeine. So, you know, I'm just trying to be <laughs> frank here. <laughs> well, that, have you been uh, kind of burning the midnight oil with your with the launch and, and writing and all that kind of stuff? Or how, how's, how's your quarantine, man? I'm sorry, who's that directed to? It was breaking up for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, Daniel said he was uh, married to caffeine, so I was curious if that was a result of, you know, quarantine hell or... Oh, oh just, uh, just years of unrequited love that I finally, I just finally gave in to the... I gave up fighting and just stopped trying to not do caffeine, bought a, bought a Keurig and a Smaug, a dragon-level horde of K-cups and just, yeah... <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. Quarantine, so you, sanity, all of the above, none of the above. <laughs> you heard it here first. Daniel Brom has consummated his relationship with God. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here second, but uh, I, I, I say, I, I hereby pronounce, but the power invested in me by Shane Keen, I pronounce myself um, husband and caffeine. Works <laughs> <laughs> for me. So when do like, we get to meet your uh, talk to your beautiful Swedish wife Keurig? Like that'd be nice. I'm, I'm, I'm very protective. Oh, uh, I I get you. I'm a jealous man myself. I, I get. I know how that goes. <laughs> so that means I can marry Johnny Walker then. Hey, you do you, man. Just leave Basil Hayden to me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Laurels for the upscale dudes. <laughs> I should never have accidentally bought off the top shelf. It's fucking ridiculous. Uh, so, um, tell tell us about. Uh, well, let's go first. Let's go back a little bit, Daniel. Um, the first book that you and I ever talked about was uh, um, Night Markers, right? Yeah, I think I I think um, maybe even a book back with uh, Savage Beasts and Gray Matter Press, but you but you know oh, yeah. definitely, but definitely uh, definitely the Night Marchers, you know, like I'll always you know I'll always um, as an author, you're always when you come out with a book, is anyone going to read this? Does anyone have it? Will anyone like it? And you know, you came out really really quick off the bat with um, a um, a review of it, which, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll always be eternally grateful to that. Oh, my God, this is someone who is not my mom and is reading it and looks like he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> which is most people just say, this motherfucker's reading my book, so you are a lot classier about it. <laughs> um, but actually, though, that was uh, that book was the one that got me talking to you, and you wrote some essays for Shotgun Logic and uh, started talking about um, setting um, as virtually a character oh, yeah. in your work. Um, and you introduced me to the work of Lucius Shepard, who, wow. if anybody's familiar with that, I would, if someone said compare Brahms' work to anybody, that would be the guy whose name I called out, probably. Wow. Wow. It's, yeah. I, I'll, I'll talk about Lucius Shepard till, till the cows come home, or, I don't know, I'm, so, um, but for the same reason, his use of setting is so 
primary to his plots and his people and everything about his stories and yours tends to be that way too so that's basically my vague roundabout point i'm getting to is talk about setting in your stories and how it applies to your new collection and um i know you place a lot of importance on that subject yeah it's what it's one of the, it's um it's part of my writing process like that is um my writing process is very intentional and very meticulous, but setting is still that part that is still very organic, and that's where the inspiration comes. I mean, the inspiration, the whole reason, the whole reason I love stories, the whole reason I love writing, the whole reason I love reading, is I'm I like to be um, transported to a place. Like that's like the most the most important thing for me over the years and from the start. You know, I like to be in a place and. That was because as a, as a teenager, writers like Tanith Lee and Lucia Shepard just, you know, they just took me to these places that I had never been. And as I became a writer, the the things that inspired me to write, we all have our own thing about that. It's often a setting that comes first. You know, um, it's like, oh, OK, yeah, I want to write about this beach. I want to write about this mountain. And. And then I, I work once I have these these settings and I start thinking about it, the, the the characters and the conflicts and the plots, which are you know you need that that is story they come they come they come out of the settings and uh, that that's when I start to work them I'm like okay um, what what are what are conflicts what are settings what are what are characters that are going to be unique and um, intrinsically tied to these um to these settings and you know that, that's sort of um a really intellectual and stiff way that you could just describe the jaguar hunter by um lucia shepherd which is just one of my eternal favorite short stories that um i come back to again and again and, and i'll probably always talk about whenever a microphone is on Sorry, I'm talking to my muted microphone. For anybody listening who hasn't figured me out yet, I do that every episode at least once. <laughs> um, so, um, go ahead. No, well, you asked how it how it applies in Underworld Dreams. Um, with Underworld Dreams being being my third uh, my third collection, you know, I found um, you know I found myself being even more more intentional about um about stories and about and about settings you know and so what i mean by that is some of the stories were being worked on at the same time so i had the opportunity while it's not a mosaic uh, collection or mosaic novel i did have the opportunity to link certain settings or certain settings are either directly or loosely linked and also i have the opportunity to you know, in the years that, you know, these are stories that were written over a number of years. Um, while I'm always inspired by far-flung settings or places that, you know, we Americans might consider exotic, I also had the chance to take the advice and bring some of it home. You know, I had, um, um, I was lucky enough to have as a workshop instructor, um, Gardner Dozois, um, who uh, the editor, in addition to being an amazing author himself, um, rest in peace, he's passed away. Um, he was the editor of uh, of um, 
Asimov's science fiction magazine, you know, someone who uh, has bought a number of uh, Lucia Shepard's classic stories. And part of this workshop experience, you know, Gardner would look at, he'd look at a stack of my stories. And the guy is such, such a level of experience and mastery and talent, you know, um, it just take him a couple of, <laughs> a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds to sort of sum, he can look at you and just sort of sum up, um, sum up what's going on or even like find he could find um the inspiration for your story like and it would seem like a magician it would seem like a psychic parlor trick you would be like brahm wow okay i read this story and wow you probably wrote the story because you experienced this and i was like how the fuck did you know that like what are you what are you talking about he's like well you 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 were riding around this like there was a story um <laughs> There was a story where I was writing around the violence, where I cut away from it. And he was like, wow, okay, I bet you you experienced this kind of thing. I bet you experienced that. And and he was dead on. That was just one of the amazing things about him. And the prescription, even though he, you know, he had kind things to say about my further set stories, he was like, you know, the next step I want to see from you is um, bring some stories home. Bring, bring the stories. Tell us those stories that you do not want to tell me that you know the he challenged me to write about some of the worst things that had happened to me and to be honest i haven't really gone there yet i haven't gotten to that top of the list i'm still not ready to do that but i feel like the stories in underworld dreams are me getting closer to those raw kinds of stories and you'll see that some of them are indeed set uh, I'm from New York. There are some New York set stories, and some of the, the farther stories uh, are connected to New York. And that was a big mouthful, so I'm gonna uh, gonna shut up now. <laughs> I I love the sound of that professor, though. He's like the Carl Jung of of analyzing, you know, short stories. That's that's really amazing that he had the insight to be able to look at that and see what the story was behind that. Oh, Gardner is just an amazing. He's just an amazing. Um, an amazing man, uh, an amazing writer, and that's why he's just you know one of the best, um, <laughs> the best editors yeah. out there. And hell of a hell of a talent, yeah. And just so fucking funny, man. Like, you know that that inter- that time that I had with him, it was like maybe 59 minutes of the the rawest, most raucous, filthiest, funniest jokes <laughs> that my side <laughs> would stop. You know, my side would hurt just from thinking about it, and then. When he just got down to business, it was just like Zen Master, bam, 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 bam. You know, to the point where some people were like, "Man, Gardner's just joking, or he's just a laugh, or he's just not serious." Like, no, no, no. You know, it's like he just needs that minute. You know, the rest of it, he's just going to be entertaining himself and entertaining us. You know. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, kind of going off of what Shane said about, like, the importance of setting, you know, I noticed, like, a lot of the settings in this book, they're kind of, like, set near water, like, coastal areas, but it also kind of, I get the sense that you might have traveled a lot, and you have one story in the collection called Goodnight Kookaburra, I think that's how you say it, or Kookaburra, I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, but, um, it said you spent a few months in Australia and you witnessed some like weird things and um, they were tied to like the sites in Australia. So, you know, I guess my question is kind of what about 
did you consciously set a lot of these stories, you know, near water or along the coast? And what were some of the strange things that you saw in Australia that kind of influenced that story in the collection? Well, the first thing I have to say is my X-Men superpower is to uh, mispronounce words <laughs> and do it on a regular basis. <laughs> so I have no idea how to say the word kookaburra or, or whatnot. And, you know, I will mispronounce words with great authority and as a, a fellow uh, interviewer as well. I mean, uh, uh, right right there with you, Rich. Um, but, um, yeah, I did... Um, I did spend a few months. Um, I took I took a writing workshop and traveled um, in Australia. And yeah, and that that's yeah, that's a story that that was intentionally intentionally set. Um, I, I think the the thing that was the initial the initial spark for that story was um, you know I had learned about uh, Aboriginal sacred sites. I mean, didn't really learn a, a lot about them or wasn't there studying them. But like just when, when you're in Australia, that is, you know, that is a thing. And especially when I did some of the tourist things, you know, you, you learn as you go around. And, you know, one of, one of the things was, you know, uh, you're not even really supposed to be there on that land. And, you know, you're, you're definitely not supposed to be taking pictures and, you know, you're uh, supposed to be respectful. And, you know, you have, you have some people who are into that. You have some people who are, not into that and you know that was where my first um you know learning about oh okay this is this is what this is and this is what that belief is so i just had that in the back of my mind um then i i had an experience i stayed with uh with a friend who uh you know lived out in the in the, in the bush in you know the rural area and uh you know lived on a lived on a plantation and then there was this mountain um, that you could see outside their land or on their land. And it was after, it was near the end of my trip and I was just so exhausted, but I found myself to be uh, really energized and just full of energy and like having this like second wind on the trip. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm writing stories and just like, wow, I'm full of energy. And um, and the women who were around, uh, there's one woman in particular who we were traveling with was, were, was having the exact opposite thing going on like was feeling uh um not wanting to even be outside not wanting to be in the sight of of the mountain and just um had the exact opposite experience and it was just something i noted and you know the, the experience moved on but later on i realized that that mountain was supposedly or not supposedly like is a aboriginal sacred site and that the sacred sites are apparently um charged male and female okay so i guess like if like the site is male it's going to supposed to you know have uh, certain effects on males and the opposite on women so wh whether or not I, I believe it or not it was just one of those interesting things where i wasn't even my observation happened um happened before learning learning about it and i wanted to um i did want to find a way to to portray that in a piece of fiction. I guess it's not really directly head on, but that's sort of the, um, it's, I don't even think that's mentioned in the story, but maybe if, you, if anyone wanted to read the story with the lens of what I just said, you know, maybe it's there at some, in some bit. 
Yeah, that that's pretty cool. Once I when I read that story and then I kind of had seen, you know, that you mentioned like some weird stuff. I find it kind of interesting that, like you said, before you even learned about that site, that you kind of picked up on those feelings and that it kind of helped you generate the idea for the story. Oh yeah, I mean, just it was. Um, yeah, I just experienced the sensation, and then when it's you get. It's kind of like one of those <laughs> one of those bad ghost stories. Uh, you laugh and hear like, oh, don't you know the that old what you stayed at that house? Uh, old man Jensen's house is haunted. Don't you know that? You know, and then you're like, oh my god, that would explain you know, <laughs> yeah. that would explain the blood flowing <laughs> from the toilet and all the crazy things I have. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that like, oh, wow, like that's a thing, and I, I experienced that before. Um, before I learned about it, which, you know, it's like, it makes it harder to explain it away. Like, I'm just a, a big, I'm a big skeptic. I'm a big science guy, even though I, I love the supernatural. Like, I, I need to bend over backwards and, you know, rule out anything before kind of going to the place, okay, that this is supernatural, you know, and most of the things in my box will be like, all right, this is in the unexplained box. We're not, we're not ready to go that, yes, supernatural is real as much as I yearn for it. Yeah, and that's that's one of the interesting themes, you know, throughout the collection kind of is you have a bunch of these stories that kind of that kind of deal with that, the kind of, you know, I guess struggle between, you know, like what is supernatural or, you know, what is something that's psychological that somebody can kind of construe in that way. And I found that dynamic to be pretty interesting in a lot of the stories because you know, depending on what the reader brings to that story, they might read it a certain way versus, an, you know, another way. Like one person might be like, OK, yeah, a lot of this stuff is creepy, but maybe, you know, it's all in my mind and it's just a coincidence. Or someone could come to it and be like, yeah, this is definitely supernatural, almost kind of, you know, how people are in real life on whether they believe in that kind of stuff or not. Yeah, I just find that I, I just find that in general to be so exciting. I'm so interested in that. I'm so interested in that and to read stories like that. Like, oh, what you know, stories that will can generate discussion or or um, stories that all the facts, everything in the story perfectly fits either way. Like, that was a ghost. No, that guy was crazy. No, that was a ghost. No, that there's weird sharks going on. There's land sharks. No, that guy's crazy. <laughs> you know. Well, it kind of uh, ties into with I I really liked the intro that you had to this collection um, that kind of, you know, talked about how you um, got, uh, you know, how you kind of wove this together and what you were thinking about with it. In particular, the the reference to the, you know, the as above, so below, which is, you know, has always been a cool element to that to that sort of thing that I, you know, have liked exploring, but also just the way that you tied that to it's the reality of what we're existing in now. Um, and so, you know, it almost doesn't matter whether it's supernatural or not. Like this is, you know, this is what you're experiencing in this moment. So I, I thought that was a really good introduction to it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, in, in our personal lives, I, you know, some, some people a lot wiser than me, you know, when these struggles become real, like, you know, like, is it fate? Is it not? Is it this? Is it that, you know, ultimately, right? Like, I'm a big believer in 
inhuman uh, humanism and, and human choice and right? like so it's what what we choose and what are the stories of our lives and what are the stories of uh, each other so right I mean it comes supernatural or not like whatever um, right life is going to be what we choose of it or what we make of it to sound really hallmarky right now <laughs> <laughs> you're the most hallmarky motherfucker I've ever talked to in my life Daniel. <laughs> You're making you're making my Swedish wife jealous. <laughs> That's so sweet um, of you, Shane. <laughs> uh, so, um, Matt Matt also writes Hallmarky shit, don't oh, you? Oh, very. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I find in most of my stuff there aren't a lot of uh, alive people toward the end of it. So. <laughs> which, just, which just really makes me feel good. That's so sweet. Well, I mean, know that well then there we go. That's a good. That's, that's a good hallmark thing for you. Then, if, if the death of you know a mass of people bring brings a warm feeling to the cockles of your heart, then how can I say I'm not writing hallmark stuff? So uh, just, t- just <laughs> tell me they just tell me they're wearing Santa hats and they're dead, and I'm happier than hell. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, since you said that, uh, the next time I write a short for my Facebook group, there will be a Santa in there for you. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> Something's got to fight back against all those Christmas love story formulaic bullshit things that they, you know. <laughs> oh, the Christmas yeah, I mean, calendar. Oh, that's exactly I the can't, same. It's the I, last I can't seven believe... we wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe uh, someone hasn't uh, concocted a story yet where a person dressed as Santa busts into the Hallmark Studios and just blows it the smithereens because they <laughs> always do those like 90 days of Christmas movie marathons and stuff. Santa the axe murderer kicks the door in and <laughs> starts laying waste to everybody. <laughs> uh, and the maybe Hallmark it just happens Christmas. to be, yeah, and, and maybe the day he does it just happens to be garbage day. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I almost asked, you know, a minute ago when we were we were talking about this supernatural, like because this is what I always love to ask. Um, because for me, it it is always supernatural. Like, and and it's whether it's writing or like real life, I'm pretty sure it's always a ghost, even when it's clearly not a fucking ghost. It's a ghost. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, either Matt or Daniel, whoever, uh, what's your, what's your leaning on that personally? Like, what, what do you want to believe or what are, what do you, you know, what do you lean towards? Hey, Matt, you want to take that? Cause I've been, I've been talking up a storm here and I'll, I'll follow you. Well, sure, Daniel, I, I'd love to. Um, so I am going to say right off the bat that I do believe that ghosts and supernatural stuff is real. Um, so most of the time in any situation where I'd read something where there's even a hint of it, I'm not going to doubt at all that the subject is paranormal or supernatural. Um, I have my own theories as to what ghosts are. Um, I don't know if that's something we want to get into on the show right now or not how existential we want to get. <laughs> oh, let's dive into it, man. Yeah, I'm yeah. interested now. <laughs> okay. I, I personally believe that ghosts are basically our souls that wander the earth and earth is net is 
basically the purgatory in a sense that, you know, in scriptures and stuff between heaven and hell, you wait to see, to figure out where you go from there. Um, I personally don't believe that there's, and I don't want to catch heat for this, but I don't, I personally don't believe there is either of those final destinations. I think our afterlife is wandering this earth as our soul. And, uh, you know, that way we're always still with our loved ones, but we're just here watching the rest of eternity play out. It almost, hmm. it, feel, yeah. it almost feels like a classical, um, a classical definition. Um, I know I, I, it sounds very personal to you, but like in terms of just looking at the ghost story, which is something I've been looking a lot at lately. And I, I also wanted to ask you about the name of your podcast. Matt, I thought I heard something about ghosts in there, but you know, like in terms of ghost stories, like doesn't that almost seem to be like um, maybe at least like the first generation or like the classic ghost stories, like that sort of um, going on that way, at least like in in the literature. Yeah, I'd agree, and I, I think maybe a good bit of my stance on what I think ghosts and all that actually are probably do span from all of the older literature that i've read about stuff like that uh that and i just in my mind i kind of feel like that's what we are at the end of it we're all just you know energy and vapor and plasma and what have you that's just in the cosmos and you know in the air around us and you know we're gone but we're never truly gone and i kind of feel that's where all of that you know that phrase kind of even comes from have you read any Tim Tim Powers, the author Tim Powers? Uh, Tim sadly, Powers. I have not. Oh, um, how about the how about the rest of the crew here? Tim Powers fans out yes. there? Yes. Yes. Um, not to be, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but I guess it was in. I hope I'm getting it right. It was in. Is it seven? Was maybe it was a Seven Days to Never? One of one of his more recent ones. Um, Powers puts out a completely different theory or a different thing about a ghost or you know he, he i guess he presents us with something called the dybbuk um I, I guess it was like an eastern european ghost um but the dybbuk the way power sets it out is a remnant from an alternative timeline or parallel timeline that has collapsed but is still somehow here on this timeline or earth which is like such a cosmic science fiction and like whether that's true or physics or not is just just sort of a super cool uh thing to put out there in like the various kinds of ghost theories or ghost stories we can yeah. have out there i actually i love that concept uh, i really like I that too. yeah that's a pardon me for showing off my nerd but um that's uh, actually based on a Jewish uh, folklore, um, a wandering spirit in Jewish folklore is a Dybbuk. Yeah. Um, in in Underworld Dreams, um, one of the stories, the word Dybbuk isn't mentioned, but um, in the story, Tommy's shadow uh, is, meant, is meant to be, I think I asked the question um, in the notes, like, you know, what? is this psychological or supernatural to you or what, what is the supernatural element? And I meant it, I meant this, the, the experience, um, to be, um, to be a Dybbuk. Um, I, you know, again, there's so much, there's so much information out there and it's just, um, yeah, powers is just brilliant, the, brilliant the way he incorporates folk, 
folklore and um, his wild imagination. Okay, that's another uh, writer I'm going to have to look into. I'll have to, as Shane eloquently put, unfuck that. That that's like, like not even unfuck that. Like like when you if you ever have a bad day and you're just feeling, I don't know, you, you're feeling fucked up or anything. Just like Tim Powers is one of those writers. Like the first the first experience you, the first uh, emotion you might have from feeling that Tim Powers is like, dear God, I'm demoralized because I will never write this good. And then the second <laughs> the second feeling you might get is like, this is so amazing. I just want to read it all. It just he's just one of the he's one of the greats. It's just such a joy to read Tim Powers, man. Awesome. Um, and I interrupted the fuck out of you just a little bit ago, Matt. I apologize for that. I do that frequently. It's my job here. Uh, well, Shane, I'm going to apologize as well, because I don't know what the hell I was even talking about when you interrupted. I can't remember. <laughs> hey, Matt, what's the name of your podcast and your introduction I got? Was it Ghosts? Uh, there was something about ghosts in the name of your, your new podcast. It was the Ghost Writers Podcast. What's that all about? So... The idea behind this upcoming podcast is it's going to be myself, Mary San Giovanni, uh, Summer Cannon, and Dave Thomas. Uh, we're going to get together and we're it's going to be more of a, I don't want to say educational, but we're going to talk more about writing. And it's based more around helping those who might not have a lot of ideas of how to get started or how to do like, you know, actual structure of writing stories or even the publishing process the self-publishing process how to approach prop uh how to approach publishers there i finally got that out and um you know we're also we want to have fun with it too it's going to be all horror themed you know we're, we're going to do a bunch of the stuff that the horror show used to do at one point where it was like listener mailbags we're going to have a book club month where we read a book and then talk about it so it's yeah, it's going to be real fun. I'm really excited to start this up. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, especially yeah, for especially for someone like me who's just you know started their writing journey. Like, I think that'd be like a really cool thing to listen to. And you know, I I obviously enjoyed uh, you guys on the horror show, so it'll be cool to hear you guys talk about writing. Well, thank you. I mean, there, there's one thing that Brian taught me when we started. And, and I, you know, I can say off the bat, I was fortunate to run into these people and have them as friends. Because, you know, Mary and Brian themselves, there's no better people you could learn this stuff from. <laughs> and, and they live 10 minutes down the road from you. So, you know, like, I was very fortunate with that. But he also told me, like, the first day he ever sat me down and kind of did like that, you know, you know, here, son, sit down by the fire with Papa. I'm going to, you know, hand down some of my knowledge to you. <laughs> you know, he was like, when the day comes, pass this on to other people that need, you know, that might need this help. And when we ended the show, that was the light that went on in my head. I was like, this is my chance to pass this knowledge on. And I thought, what better way to do it than just from person to person, but have a platform where it can reach anybody who needs to know this stuff. Shane, that's definitely a Hallmark card moment right there. Can we snap? Can we snap? Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know, the, the thing about hey, that. Papa. <laughs> fucking, fucking I have Papa a feeling he, if he, yeah, I have a feeling if he hears that, he's going to disown me as a son. I don't know. <laughs> Papa, yeah. That motherfucker. You, what was that guy's name again? <laughs> 
No, that really does sound like an awesome like to have to have a place and especially all the all the shit storms that just happen between you know when when publishers attack you know when publishers go wrong or or you know attack and so many so many of these things I you know it's pain it pains me because it's like oh you know it's not just like a, if Woody had gone straight to the police kind of thing but a lot of it just comes to do with the they just don't give you an instruction manual on, on how to be an author out there or just like some of not even like knowing knowing some things. It's not being critical of something, but the, to, the more people can be together and the more dissemination of, of information and community is only it's just only going to be a great thing. So it's kind of a, I was I was expecting to hear it's going to be a podcast about ghosts. I'm like, ghosts? You know, but it, it, it's just a great title for like, a really great uh, topic there, Matt. I'm looking forward Thank to it. Thank you. Thank you. Really? Yeah, I mean, and uh, that's the thing about Keen, too, man, is that he is huge for that pay it forward thing. You know, he's yes. all, all about lifting up authors who he sees doing the work. And he's all about making sure that those authors know that they need to do the same fucking thing going forth. He likes to perpetuate what he came from a school very similar to that of writers that um were all lifting each other up at a time when horror was just starting to struggle just a little bit and he just has really 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 embraced that and you know in spite of being an asshole sometimes he's really really a good guy when it comes to stuff like that he, he is a good guy um I'm, i've already I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> mostly about no. the asshole i'm kidding Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, he he's a fantastic guy, and yeah. you know I've already done some of that passing on myself because just through the horror show, there's been people that reached out to me, you know, and I'm like I I don't I don't have a crap ton of knowledge in this subject, and, and this might have been like a year or two ago, so I was even getting started started really, yeah. But I was like, you know, this is what I can tell you at this point that I'm at, but if I can tell you something. I will tell you whatever I know. And I've also, oh my God, I think it's like two or three, four maybe people now that have been like, hey, can you read this for me? Tell me what you think, because I don't think I can write. And I'm like, yeah, I'll read it. And I take the time and read their stories, and then I give them my thoughts. Because, and that that's when, when I started, if I hadn't met those two, and as, as like Daniel and you guys have said, if you just go online and look for how to write, you know, there's nothing. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing. So I, anytime I can give any sort of help, I'm always there to do it. Yeah, I remember um, I was at a Nikon. Dear God, I'm showing my age how many years ago. I mean, <laughs> this had to be at least 15, maybe pushing 20 years. And I, I remember Brian... Um, he was he was it was on a panel and like the advice that he gave was so practical like I remember it because it's so um, it was so down to earth like when he was just like asking him like what if you can give one piece of advice and it always stuck with me and this is before I had really even published anything at all he was like you know on a Sunday night when I want to sit home and watch a movie you know with my family or watch a movie I don't because you, you gotta you gotta write and you gotta you gotta get it done and um and it just it, it seems so simple and it seemed like so oh you know maybe uh overly simple or overly curmudgeonly or something like that but it just um 
at least that was the right piece of advice for me at that time where it's like, yeah, you know, like ass and chair time and the, the factor of, of time and putting in the time is such um taking, you know, whatever other flavors of advice you're going to put in there of just, you know, voicing that and recognizing that was just, um, was a piece of advice I always associated with him as being, uh, right. Pretty worthy. Yeah. And, you know, and to us in a sense, he is absolutely right. You, you do have to hold yourself accountable at some points. You know, you, you can't just sit there and stare at your uh, WIP and just be like, oh, you know, I wish this thing was done. It ain't right in itself, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. You got to get your ass in the chair and put the work in. Yep. Hey, Matt, um, can you give me um, – I'm not as familiar as I need to be with your stuff. Can you give me the 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 um, – the little intro to, to your stuff, just so I can feel a little more up to speed as we talk, continue to talk here. What kind of um, stuff do you write? I would say my style is, uh, I, I think I'm a soft horror as well. I've dabbled into some extreme stuff here and there and some short stories. Um, I, I do a bunch of short story collections. I have a Facebook group called Horrors Untold. And that is the title of the books that come out. I have, I do them in volumes. I get like six to seven shorts together. So it's like a half a year's worth. It's like a short a month. I put them together and I self-publish those. Um, so, yeah, the shorts range from everything from soft horror to like ghost stories to cosmic horror. Um, you know, it runs the board. Uh, the... The novella that I'm that I just put out this month, The Demon in the Glass, that is a straight up cosmic horror story. And the uh, the novella that I had just sold to uh, Death's Head Press, uh, that one is I, I'd say that's more like a psychological ish type horror story, I guess you could say. So I, I try to dabble in a little bit of everything, kind of like you do. Because I don't feel like, you know, I can sit down and dedicate myself to just one genre because I love all of them so much. Mm. So that's kind of yeah. what I try to do. I try to I try to dance around to all the different stations and just be like, you know, how about this month we we write a slasher story? Because why the hell not? You know? Yeah, I feel like um, once I, I started interacting with readers and fans of horrors, um. It shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but I one of the things that I was struck by was just how fans of horror really love the full pantheon of it. Like 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 I would see people buying books and they're like, oh, give me one of these, give me one of these. I'm like, wow, okay, you just bought like a real slasher and you just bought like a real quiet one. And they're like, yeah, you know, like I love it, I love it all. And I'm like, oh, it was just I don't know, a light kind of went off. So I mean, it makes sense that someone like yourself who you know, as a lover and devotee of of the genre, would um, would want to do that. But you mentioned you mentioned cosmic horror. Um, you want to go down the rabbit hole? Like what? You said, oh, it's it's pretty standard cosmic horror. I'm like, I'm the slow kid. Like, so what what is standard cosmic horror, or what does it mean? What does it mean <laughs> to you? You know? So to me, cosmic horror, it, it doesn't even have to be. You know, from from my definition, it doesn't even necessarily have to be anything around like a god like entity to me i feel like cosmic horror's best thing is anything that comes from somewhere other than what you're comfortable with that you have absolutely no way of controlling or being able to save yourself from it 
It's the absolute epitome of helplessness and mystery. That that's what I think cosmic horror is. Well, that's a, that's a cool definition. Um, how about the rest of the rest of the people on the line here? What you had to spit out a quick a quick bit about cosmic horror. What what do you think, Laurel? Half tentacles. <laughs> so is is cosmic horror and tentacle horror are they mutually exclusive or or is is there you know is that its own thing tentacle horror i think that anytime you start having tentacles um then you're you're edging towards cosmic horror but i think i'm probably um i that's common for me because i i, I actually did not really didn't know the existence of any of these genres for a very long time and i think the first cosmic horror introduction i had was the first salem holly book by michael patrick hicks yeah the resurrectionist and -hmm. it was billed as cosmic horror i'm like what the hell is that that sounds amazing and then it's you know there were definitely tentacles there um right and so that sort of colored my my understanding of it but yeah if i had to sum it up tentacles uh someone smarter go (laughs) I would yeah. say I'm just going to step in here real quick, Laurel. I, um, I'm i not going to argue with the idea that tentacles have to be there. Uh, but judging in what uh, country you're in, uh, saying that there has to be tentacles present, that could mean something really bad, too. <laughs> so if you're ever in Japan, just err the side of caution when you're like, I need tentacles. <laughs> Yes. I, I can't say that it's like a common thing that I go running in places asking for, you know. Give so me tentacles. I'll probably be okay. <laughs> That's good. I, I can rest easier now knowing you'll be safe. <laughs> That's some of that paying it forward, man. I appreciate it. Well, like, like, you wrote an amazing book. I don't want to see you go and get killed in Japan over tentacles. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if you're in Japan, hold your tentacles. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, tentacles are—they are such a crowd pleaser, and they are so popular in the genre. But you know, and then, but then there's also that stuff that Matt. You know, I really like that definition of the um, the mystery of it, where it's 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 both unknown and both um, incomprehensible. Incom- you know, I mean, you started yeah. off by talking about gods and. I think you pretty deftly steered it away. I mean, from from the grand patron of of the genre, um, these ideas came came from Lovecraft. But you know, it's just amazing how the genre, like Laurel, you mentioned, like, oh, I didn't know about these categories, and and I'm with you. Like when I started writing, I didn't know about these categories either. I think it's super fun as a, a hard nerd to like, let's talk about these categories, let's talk about it. But it's also great to um, write to like just sort of organically like you know tell your story and be like, oh, okay, there's there's a thing there's a thing that it might be in a box for or closest box you know yeah yeah i i think it's it's one of those things that that has been really fun to explore though because it's you know i mean scratching the surface of it and especially as i've as i've said numerous times you know is that i i just didn't know that there was this this great richness of horror authors, you know, in in this indie community, and that because I you know read most of everything Stephen King wrote, and I thought I was screwed, you know, like there just wasn't much else to read, and and so being able to delve into this and you know just figuring out how many authors there are and how many different ways of telling stories, and you know we've got 
like you said, the quiet horror, you've got cosmic horror, S.H. Cooper writes wholesome horror, which just that was a new one to me. And it's just awesome, you know, and mm-hmm. just everybody defining their own categories and really finding their voices and, and being able to just see how it can be done differently has been hugely eye opening for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of the same as you. Like growing up hard to me, I was just reading King mostly you know like i started with the soft baby stuff like scary stories and goosebumps books and then like went on to king and then as you read through king and you start running out of stuff you're at the library and like well what do i do Uh, uh, oh k Koontz, who's this guy and you (laughs) i did the same thing (laughs) because you're just like well what and he's right next to him so you're like well i guess you know that has to be like stephen king light so let's check it out man yeah and, and and not to discredit him, he's not a bad author at all. I actually enjoyed a lot of Kuntz's writing. But as Laurel said, like back in the day when I was reading horror nonstop, I I didn't really know there were that many different genres to it. I just I just thought, you know, it's scary. It's horror. That's it. Same. And, I, you know, when you get into it now, you realize that much like uh, I would say much like you think like rock music and metal and all that like if you talk metal music there is like 30 different sub genres but you wouldn't be able to tell unless that genre is done with capable hands able to mold the clay properly for you to tell the difference between band and band you know mm-hmm. you mentioned yeah, punk, punk is the same way yeah <laughs> You mentioned Uncle Stevie, and um, you know I had read like Night Shift and Skeleton Crew and all that stuff before you know before I knew anything. And, and I just rereading that stuff now. I love I love seeing the influence. Like you know I've always heard like oh wow Stephen King you know was influenced by Lovecraft or he was influenced by that stuff. And I love you know it's stories like The Raft or The Jaunt or uh, I Am the Doorway. And I kind of like I just kind of love seeing. Um, seeing that stuff and, and realizing, oh, okay, like, I was influenced by Cosmic Horror before I even knew what Cosmic Horror was. Like, you know, like, I saw, I read Hellboy and saw the Hellboy movies, you know, before I even realized, like, oh, wow, okay, like, Manila's, like, really, really doing his own Lovecraft thing there. So, um, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's just such a joy. Yeah, I, I can understand that completely. I mean, growing up, I probably heard the name Cthulhu a million times and probably even saw him in some of the Marvel comic books I've read, but like it never clicked <laughs> until like one day I'm just like, okay, who is this Cthulhu person? And then you look yeah, it up and then that's when my rabbit hole descent started. Yeah. I'm not really a love, a Lovecraft person. Like not, while not, uh, going into detracting him. I just was, um, um, I was just really shocked to realize how popular, he still was and how influential he was when I first started writing, I would be at conventions or I would be at things and I would ask people like, Hey, like what kind of horror are you into? What are you into? And like, no joke, like one out of every three, maybe even more like, yeah, I'm into Lovecraft. I'm into Lovecraft. And I thought it was just an aberration at first before realizing just, um, you know, just how alive and kicking, um, alive and kicking he was. Um, yeah. Rich yeah, Shane, are you guys cosmic, uh, cosmic horror people? Uh, yeah. I... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I am. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I don't know if I would say 
I guess I, I'm a cosmic horror fan. I'm not really super big on Lovecraftian horror, cosmic horror so much, but I'm, I really, really dig like uh, you know the works of Laird Baron and oh yeah. I mean you know mm-hmm. I'm there are just some iconic dudes working in the you know when Stephen Graham Jones go, goes that way he's fucking amazing you know Brian Evanson yeah um, there are some guys who when they go there are really really good at going there and i love those guys you know so it's kind of with me i don't really i mean i know the genres now but i don't really give a shit i kind of go for story you know what i mean yeah Yeah, that's a good way to dive at it yeah Yeah, i'm kind of the same way as shane in that like a lot of kind of the foundations of what you would consider like cosmic horror like i i was aware i became aware of them but i never really read them as much i've read like you know more modern takes on it like a lot of the authors shane mentioned um your novella daniel the serpent shadow i thought that was a pretty unique take on it and then um my favorite one is probably uh john langan's the fisherman oh oh what a delight what a delight that god Mm -hmm. no kidding yeah yeah so stuff like that you know it like, I'm more of a fan of, you know, seeing how authors kind of take some of those general concepts, but put a new spin on it and, you know, kind of get away from, like, established mythos. And it, and a lot of, you know, the books that were mentioned, that's what they do. And, you know, it's more exciting than, you know, kind of, you know, sometimes you'll see, which there's nothing wrong with it every once in a while, but you'll kind of see, like, people playing within the established mythos. I'm more of a fan of the stuff that kind of just takes like the emotional core of those stories, but gets rid of kind of, you know, the standard characters and stuff like that. Mm, I'm, I'm so right. I'm right, right there with you. I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm reading uh, Laird Barron's uh, noir novels. Um, oh yeah. And, and it's just so, it's just so good. And, yeah, I mean, if left to my own devices, right? I mean, I guess I started this whole conversation about category, but when I come back to being a writer, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's about the story, and I feel like if, if we're talking about advice to beginning writers, while there's no, you know, there's no take take or leave advice, but I uh, I think the farther away you can get from having those preconceived notions in your head, um, will help not trip you up and being a beginner writer unless like you're like okay i'm specifically i need to write a I'm writing for a slasher project this needs to be a slasher but you know even i'm so much more excited as a reader and as a writer and just as a, a nerd discussion about about genre as a starting place um both both to be both to free you up to tell story but also like i just do delight in the subversion um and that's maybe a strong word but like you know the nuances of how knowing what knowing what genre is or knowing these categories to to have them be a tool for story and that and I guess I say that because that that's my path you know like for a lot of you know a lot of my path um, you know I was writing without awareness of it and coming back to Underworld Dreams it, it is the book where I can say I was writing with an awareness, uh, an awareness of genre and category, and, um, you know, so it was, uh, 
a different at a different mark on my uh, writing journey as far as category goes. Well, and I think that it's uh, that was something that I was kind of reading, you know, about what you've said about your work before, too, as far as just not particularly wanting to slap a genre on it, even um, because, you know, I think I think the line that you had in there was that you preferred to think of it as fiction and to you fiction just meant anything could happen. Um, so I didn't, I mean, when you started writing, did you, did you see it as being in the horror genre or did you just write what was there? Oh man. I mean, I, I got that fiction thing from like when I was a kid in the library, it was just like the different stickers, like, okay, fiction had like a rocket ship or a skull or a pirate ship. You know, it's like fiction is like not true. Right. So like, it could be, it could be, uh, could be any of the above. It could have a ghost. It could have a rocket. It could have a pirate or if you're Tanifly, it has all three, and they change genders and they change planets, you know. Um, but um, when I really first started writing, I I wanted to be and thought I was writing science fiction, you know. I mean, I was just like, hey, you know, um, or, or maybe I thought I was writing fantasy or dark fantasy. Like I really, I really didn't think of myself as a horror writer until I sold my first short story to Cemetery Dance. And um, and was sort of told, and it's a strong word of told what it is, but like horror, horror was a genre that accepted me. Like you know, I'm like doing some, doing my own thing, doing some weird shit. And I think what I love about horror is like horror is the one that's big enough and broad enough to, if not fit at all, to at least to at least to at least fit a lot of interstitial things. And maybe that's the reason why there's so many you know, 36 Swedish black death metal, echo metal horror <laughs> combinations because, you know, because the genre will allow it and the, the readers will allow it and will delight in it. I think that's true. And I think that's a really, I think that's a good way to put it. And it's interesting. It's We had uh, talked to Tiffany McDaniel last week and um, her novel that is out now, Betty, that was one of the things like it was not written as horror. Um, it was more, I guess, I think literary fiction. And it was one of those things that she kind of noticed uh, when they started sending out the arcs was that the people who had read her work before were like, this is honestly too brutal for us. And so, you know, they started sending it out to the people in the horror community and it was totally embraced. And she was just really excited by that because she hadn't thought about that before but i love the idea of the horror community as you said as being something that's just big enough for everything yeah and like expectation and market i mean i guess we we start thinking about the boxes and the categories when um look face it we're all we're all horror um professionals we're horror we we do have to think about marketing and at least in the, the way of connecting our work to the reader and reader expectations and i don't know that 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 whole thing just delights me um, again, it's just incredibly daunting, but also like delightful. Like, um, you know, you take you take one take something out of one place and put it somewhere else. Like, I'm thinking Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which like on the one hand, like to me felt like as someone who like really loves you know science fiction or post-apocalyptic, right? Like The Road to me wasn't um, well, I'm not knocking it. Like it was just it was maybe first position or maybe it was standard, right? So it was a really good post-apocalyptic thing, but maybe the literary community had never read it before. You know, they were like, oh, my God, this, you know, this groundbreaking this is amazing. I'm like, oh, okay, no, it's a good, you know, it was a solid uh, post-apocalyptic story. But, you know, it's like I'm wondering 
I'm wondering, like, you know, like, you take the road, um, you know, and you put it with someone else's name, you know, in, in, in a small press book, you know, it, it's sort of like a different, there's a different expectation going on with that. Let's not, and that's not to knock the incredible emotion and, you know, the prose, you know, of Cormac McCarthy, but, um, you know, and it also comes out, like, in market films, like, I think a lot of people who weren't into uh, A24's The Witch... It had a lot to do with, like, the marketing was like, this is the scariest movie you will ever see, you know? And, like, oh, well, I'm a huge fan of that movie, you know? Like, some you know, people walking out, like, that shit wasn't scary at all, you know? I'm like, well, depends, uh, you know, depends on what your expectations and where you're coming from. Yes, yeah. I think uh, yeah, and huge. so many... Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, so many people want scares to just jump in your fucking face anymore that uh, subtle scares don't work for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah I, 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 mean, I agree. I don't know what's much, I don't know, like, uh, Black Phillip ain't subtle, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, I guess, well, <laughs> but I guess he's not for everyone, you know? And uh, the, the, uh, the horror of being subjected to the patriarchal society of... Uh, of that time, I don't know, man. That's pretty, pretty fucking nightmarish. That movie was. So. Uh, yeah, I'd rather deal with Black Phillip than that fucking society. That's yeah. damn sure. <laughs> oh, you know, it was like that movie was just so brilliant. Like anyone, you know, the moment she like joins in the end, it's, it's just like so triumphant. You know, and it's just like just just a masterstroke. Yeah, I was gonna kind of hate that movie until that happened. I mean, like, not, you know, not that it was, like, poorly done, but I was so, like, irritated with it by then. And I was like, okay, good. She just gave the middle finger to all of that and was like, sure, I'll live deliciously. Fuck you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah man. It's like, it answers the question. Do you want to live deliciously? Like, hell yes. You know? It's right? Like, it's just the <laughs> discipline of that movie to, like, build up to that one, that that ending. And, and to, have the, to have the guts, like, the filmmakers or whoever to, like, not the lowest common denominator and to just like just to have that really smart and introspective moment where it's like you know the, yeah this is a story like if you have any question about why she would do this it's like just watch the whole movie it's like you know that that is just um awe-inspiring awe writing right there you know that's i'm, I'm signed up for that 24 7 yeah the, the only negative I will give the film is that I needed subtitles for when the father spoke because I felt like of all the audio, his was the lowest and I could barely understand a word he said. <laughs> I wasn't I did, listening yeah. to him anyway, though. Uh, right, yeah, I just, didn't <laughs> just felt like it was just like large, large, you know, listen to me, God, fuck you, whatever. It just was yeah, all yeah. the same. So he wasn't interesting. But yeah. <laughs> Laurel's all full of tood here. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the tood in spades. <laughs> I liked. I if I had one complaint about that movie, it would be that I felt like it should have ended about five minutes before it did. But nobody else agrees with me, so I'll just shut right the fuck up about that. <laughs> you're saying i'd like that it would have been better to be left more to like like her walking off into the woods yeah not quite yeah. on the nose i yeah. can see that i wasn't disappointed with it but i can i can see it would have been fine i think that way yeah. too but yeah 
Thanks, thanks for humoring me, Laurel. <laughs> <You're fucking>. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the other part is like I am the person who has to have things explained to me. Like you can't just be like, it doesn't look good, Laurel. It's like, but is he dead? Right. I just have to fucking know. So. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who sounded brilliant on the Necronomy.com because I did a bunch of fucking research before I went on there, so I feel that totally. <laughs> the Ankai staff interviews themselves and ignores the guest host and the guest. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys, we got really interesting shit to talk about now. <laughs> <laughs> but just kind of touching on those kinds of movies, though, like maybe more divisive ones. I don't... When I read the... Um, the title story in this collection, Underworld Dreams. I don't know if you were influenced by it or not, but it had it had the same kind of emotional notes. I felt like the movie Spring, where you know it has kind of those like genre elements, but it kind of, it also had like that heavy emotional side. And I was just wondering if you took anything from that movie to like influence you when you wrote that story, or if that's you know just my Dumb observation. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually really glad you mentioned the movie because, like, I um, when we were talking about tentacle horror, like, I I wanted to, it passed through me to be like, hey, well, let's talk about spring. I mean, um, yeah, I'm a big. I I feel like I'm not sure if we talked about it on our last episode or not, or maybe we were throwing around Rex on that, but um, I think I was writing it. I think the story may have predated the movie, but I, I definitely um. Yeah, I think it, I think Spring is is just a great movie, and I really enjoy it. And I didn't didn't put two and two together in that um, you're, you're even just talking about the emotional, um, not even talking about the genre aspect of it, just talking about the emotion. Like Spring, without giving any spoilers, I mean it does it does start off with a young man who is maybe at the end of his rope um, in life. And, you know, is is suffering from or trying to just we get a character in an interesting place about someone who is trying to overcome personal tragedy and is like sort of we get like this new this new beginning. So it has like a it's a, it's oddly structured, but like that 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 sort of point, it, you know, it, it allows some verisimilitude where I think a lot of the, the point of spring is the emotion and, you know, we have a character in, in Underworld Dreams and in both the title story and in a lot of the stories of of characters who are at that point of freedom that, like, the freedom that comes from being, just being so, so washed up from life or so battered um, from it. So, um, while I, I can't say I was directly um, th- thinking about it, I definitely, I... Um, you know, I'm honored to uh, to have the comparison. Yeah, and um, that kind of ties into something else I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, I've always been interested in how, you know, writers put together their collections because, you know, sometimes their stories, you know, that could have been published years apart. But when you put them together, sometimes you'll notice certain themes emerge and one that seemed to stick out to me that kind of ties into what you were talking about is just interpersonal relationships and I didn't know if that was a conscious theme 
that you had built when you were picking these stories, but whether it be, you know, like, you know, some of the characters that are dealing with, you know, romantic relationships, whether it be starting them or, you know, hitting some kind of hardship in them or familial relationships and things like that. I didn't know if that was a theme when you were putting the stories together for this collection that you wanted to kind of make like a center point for the collection. I think it was just a wonderful uh, synchronicity that it happened that way. Like when, when I was putting together the book um, with Steve Berman from, from Lev Press, the, the idea for the book was to be something that you had mentioned before to really, to really um, curate my stories and have the one, have it be the ones as much as possible that dealt with the, the, the tension between the psychological and the supernatural. And that, that really was the lens that Steve and I were looking at when we conceived of the book and, um, and were going back and forth and choosing the stories and choosing the order. Um, but yeah, what you just mentioned, like that, the, the, the fact that the, the, the synchronicity, that the, the sto- so many of the stories had to be around water and so many of the stories are about these, these broken people is just sort of, yeah, just sort of a stroke of good luck. I mean, um, uh, one of the advanced quotes about the book was they called it um, supernatural surf noir, or, or 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 maybe that's the the, the term I want. <laughs> I want to talk about the book for, as far as let's let's pick let's pick the most commercially unwieldy possible way to communicate this book. But um, but you know, like I guess the good thing about theme is it's it when it creeps up when you're not looking. Like I've always been telling myself I'm not a big researcher. But I've just been learning so much over these past years. I'm I'm just so fascinated by surf and surf culture and surf setting and surf location. And these stories aren't the ones that I want to be my surf book. But I'm like, holy shit! Like, it, it, maybe every single story has something to do with surfing or or a surf reference. You know, it's it's definitely it's definitely in there. And all you know, all the stories, um, all the stories are about. Um, loss and and interpersonal relationships and you know and and the breakdown and uh in there but you know i think it's not i don't think it's a depressing book although a lot you know there's a lot of hard a lot of hard things happen in there i do think uh like the band the cure you know as depressing as that might seem for all the black and uh and 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 trappings i think i think the book ends with and and i hope it has a core of hope running through it Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think there's some, uh, and like I said, especially the one that kind of kickstarted that uh, Underworld Dreams, the story, like, there's a lot of hardship in there, but I, like you said, there was a core of hope to it as well, and I thought it was really well done, and I just, I loved the language in it, and that's kind of what made me think of it in terms of spring. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, um, um yeah it's it's amazing that um right when we're just getting back to story i mean um you know i'm with i'm with you and the panel where um i I don't care what what the label is of it if you know it's a story that has to move me and it's a story that has to have its own emotional uh emotional um punch to me and 
I'll, I'll be signed up for that any day, no matter what you call, it, no matter what, what what's on the cover. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. Um, if it doesn't do something to make me feel, then it's just doesn't work for me. That's what I'm there for. Yeah, and I guess that's what's amazing. I guess that's what's amazing about horror and why it's detractors or people who fear horror, you know, just miss it. Where it's like, to me, that's like, it's almost, that's like so inherent. Like, okay, we can have a jump scare. And I guess, yeah, yeah. we all want the jump scare. And yeah, yeah, okay, like, like there's a generation, or at least when I communicate, like with the younger people in my life who are like, horror, jump scare, you know, horror, yeah. you know, but, um, and, and yeah, that's, that's part of the spectrum, but like, it always seemed, it always seemed to me where it's like horror of, of the genres, it was the most, um, you know, most essential, like horror is a, yeah. is about illuminating the human experience. It's about telling these human stories and, really? uh, and the supernatural is just such a, is such a, just such a ripe, um, I don't know, <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm twisted by it, but like even, even in any great story that I'm reading, I'm like, this would be great. Now let's just add a ghost and it'll be perfect. You know? <laughs> it's like, I, I think kind of in a way, in a way though, like jump scares compared to, um, you know, just good, good emotional horror is kind of like fucking playing with paper dolls instead of GI Joes, in my opinion, you know, it just doesn't have the same thrill to it. You know, I guess a, that was probably kind of a perverted thing to say, but, you know, I... Well, it wasn't until... Now what are we doing with the paper dolls? I don't know, you know. Nothing with the paper dolls, but the G.I. Joes, Joes thrilled the fuck out of me. <laughs> I learned something new about my co-host every day. <laughs> So, this is Shane Douglas Keene signing off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of um, you know, one of the things I'm looking into when I, you know, when I think about mainstream readers or mainstream people, and you know, horror is, it seems to be at like the wheel always turns, but like right now, it just seems like horror is maybe in in vogue or in, in terms of pop culture, it's so popular right now and um you know i was just thinking of some of the terminology that like okay well how how do i communicate or how do we communicate horror how do we communicate what we were just nerding out about to like some other people and like one of the things i found myself saying was oh wow you write horror you write horror you write horror you know like run away run away don't look at the book don't look at the book but like you could tell them things that that people who have read something that they already understand like oh I write ghost stories, or it's like ghost stories, and that's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately, and um, taking steps towards that, I founded, um, it's going to be the first of an annual um, uh, series of festivals for the month of December, like the old tradition of telling Christmas ghost stories, I founded the New York Ghost Story Festival, so I'm not going to announce the names yet, but I've... um, you know, I've, I've asked my favorite authors, um, some lucky to have some really amazing up-and-coming authors and, and some of the best out there to, um, while we're in this time of lockdown and we can't be out at readings, to just pick their favorite ghost story, whether it's one they've written or just whether it's one one that they've um, 
they just love. And in these dark, at least in New York, these dark December nights, we're going to go online and we're going to read them, try to fill up as many of those nights as we can and maybe talk about just that. Like, what is it about that story that um, does something for you? That's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing that, like, the ghost is, um, right, like, so... I don't have an answer to it. It's it's an inquiry to me. Like you know, I mean, uh, you know, we're just looking at like like a you know the most uh, the most hallmarky, but perhaps one of the most classic or effective ones of it is like, you know, uh, a Christmas Carol. I mean, that's like that's got ghosts, that's got time travel, you know, but that's like that's like a real basic classic high school. You know, it's a story uh, a story about people. What do you guys have any favorite ghost stories out there? That one that just always speaks to you. Oh, man. For me, I don't know. Probably Fritz Lieber's The Smoke Ghost. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's one of my favorites. That's an amazing one. I have not read that one. Is that a short story or is that a... It's a short story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very, very unique, very unique ghost story. Yeah, I want to stay away from spoiling it, but just to say it's... It's definitely one of those that, that had my attention when I um, I really was started to look intellectually look into the evolution of the ghost story and that it sits at a really interesting point in time. Uh, Fritz Lieber is, a re- is such an interesting. It's really worth your time too. I hope I hope someone reads it for the festival. I have a feeling that someone might be reading from it, but um, uh, hopefully you'll tune in to it. But if if, if not, definitely Laurel. It's definitely uh, it's real worthy. It's real worthy to check out. Yeah. I agree. I obviously. So, what about the rest of you guys in ghost stories? Um, I will say right now my my brain is failing me on like a title of a book in particular. But um, what I will say, I am enamored by uh, getting local like ghost story and legend books. I think anywhere I travel, I will go to a, a local library and try to find the ghost book for that like town that I'm in or whatever, because I, I just I'm fascinated by not only the different wide variety of, you know, ghosts and lore that can be in an area like in a county that just might even be like five minutes away. They have their own local lore that you've never heard of, you know, but I also love how many of them can have. You know, you can go a state away and they'll have something that's a similar ghost story to what you have in your hometown. That's so and, cool, too. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, so that that's for ghost stories. That's for that's my bread and butter. I always look for like the local, uh, you know, lore, ghost story, horror, like books and stuff. I I think they're really cool. And plus, you know, each time you buy one of them, nine times out of ten, you're helping out a local uh, independent author. So, yeah, yeah. Have you guys read Pretty Mary's All in a Row by uh, Gwendolyn Keist, by any chance? No, I've got that on my shelf. Oh. And I used to read it, but... Yeah, Same. Matt, Matt, you might really delight in it. It definitely... Right? It's it's right what you say. You know how, like, there's always there's always this, this ghost story, and it's it's either the same or it's one click different no matter which town you go. And uh, Gwendolyn Keist is just such a fantastic author. She's really one of the best and out there, and... Uh, Pretty Mary's All in a Row definitely hits on what you said. Uh, I, I highly recommend it to anyone uh, listening, as I recommend uh, all of Gwendolyn's work. Awesome. Yeah, the I'm actually was awesome. 
all these all these recommendations you guys are giving i'm actually writing down and my wallet is getting depleted as we speak Um, (laughs) i thought you were going to say it's getting depressed which is what mine does (laughs) well i don't think there's ever a moment where my wallet isn't depressed but yeah (laughs) 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 yeah um my my favorite uh, now that Matt said that um, it reminded me um I loved those growing up too um especially like um, the Ghosts of Gettysburg I think there was like oh yeah three of them or so my stepdad oh, dude there's like six or seven of them I think now no? yeah okay <laughs> yeah. yeah this was like years and years ago but yeah my stepdad he had all of them and some of the stories that were in there were just creepy like i think it might have been the third one they talked about like there was one about like this guy who was buried alive and it was i still think about it every once in a while it was terrifying but as far yeah. as uh novels the siren and the specter by jonathan jans is probably my most recent favorite oh yeah jans is good stuff yeah yeah, yeah. he is i i will say um rich you were bringing up about the uh how some of the stories you've read in those books, like they actually creep you out. I will say not that uh, fiction books, you know, like any of the horror that I've read through fiction doesn't give me some heebie jeebies once in a while. I consistently feel like those books creep me out the most, like the, the, the actual nonfiction about ghost stories within a a town and stuff. Cause you're reading something that's been handed down through generations as something that's thought to be as fact. You know, and most of them stem off of something that happened horribly in this town. So you're you're getting like that real hit, and that always creeps me out. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. We have some pretty uh, tepid ghosts in Portland. Um, <laughs> I'm not really. I mean, except for the Shanghai tunnels, none of our ghosts really fucking scare me at all. It's like, like. Uh, the Shanghai tunnels scare the fuck out of me, but for the very reason you mentioned, they're based on horrific history in this city. Right. Um, other things, just like you know, so so some drunk got pushed down the stairs in a fucking bar. Who cares? You know, <laughs> uh, you know I mean, that's poor. I'm actually ghost. picturing that as the title in the book for that story. <laughs> Some drunk got pushed down the stairs. Who fucking cares? <laughs> a really, a really scary Portland uh, ghost story is if you look in the mirror and you say "crunchy, crunchy, crunchy" <laughs> three times, Shane Team will is said to appear. I, I do not recommend trying. Got that wrong. Soil trousers. If you say that three times, I actually piss my pants. <laughs> You were close. <laughs> I'm just we picturing almost the ghost had an accident. Of, the, of the drunk guy, like angry because he paid fifteen dollars for his Cosmo with a charred pine cone on the fucking uh, rim yeah, of Portland. In Portland. <laughs> yes. No, he was actually he actually was pissed because it, he was pissed at the hooker that pushed him down the stairs. <laughs> See, Laurel's going at, like, some high-class joint, and <laughs> Shane's like, right. no, this is some guy at a, sheedy, a seedy place with hookers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that story, man, it's the hooker that haunts the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm kind of haunted by places that like put charred pine cones on their uh, cocktails. There. Uh, well, <laughs> Portland, bro. I was gonna say, um, be very afraid because it exists. Um, <laughs> yeah. Talk about people that see that and they're like, yes, I would like you to dump some uh, long clippings into my drink if you don't right. mind. Um, <laughs> as long as it's smoked or something, that would be great. And charge me double for it, please. No shit. Fuck the yes. drain on the rim looks excellent. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the price tag that 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 depresses and uh, horrifies me the most of like those kind of fancy drinks. Tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, just give me a a nice uh, you know case of beer or something and i'll be fine you know i can take care of myself at home i don't need to pay that kind of price for a drink same here i'm give me a bottle of beam and i'm fine yeah i <laughs> uh, talk about horror stories somewhere my sense of time is off so i don't know when i read this article but somewhere i was reading the article and i, I don't even know the price of the cocktail but it was it had to be a manhattan bar and like it had to be like some drink that's filled with like gold shavings and and like gemstones or like literally like uh, some crazy <laughs> drink that way. I'm like, I'm just um, picturing people drinking gems. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there's a martini bar here in Portland though that makes makes a martini with uh, gold shavings in it though, which is just yeah. I mean, I mean that's Goldschlager. Yeah, yeah. basically, you know, yeah, I mean, not, if you not don't Goldschlager at all, at all, but I mean, they're, 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 I guess maybe that's where, yeah. where it came from. But like, I think this was like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, Man, I don't I know. I guess what it's like a couple days later when those gemstones come back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I wonder, though, is if the gold makes your urine sparkle when you take a leak. <laughs> you know, that kind of rock. Oh, I don't know. Shane. We might have, we might have to do something for science, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think so. they have that stuff in Japan. Like I think they have those additives where you know you can colorize your uh, colorize your waste products intentionally. Unless I'm, nice. I hope I'm not making that up. <laughs> <laughs> hey look dude your urine stream is a neon light man <laughs> do not cross there's a the rave going on in there across <laughs> the streets oh god so you guys um i'm gonna have to cook for my wife here pretty soon so uh okay let's go to this part of the part of the show we have all these regular parts so i'm coming up to you know one of the <laughs> I'm making all that shit up. Actually, um do let's start with you, Daniel. Um you've got the new collection out. Um we have uh I believe we're going to have some new audio from you for the nighttime logic series soon. Yeah. Um and what else do you have coming up that you um, want to talk about? Yeah, night uh I guess we could announce it announce it here that the next guest at Nighttime Logic is going to be the, the fabulous uh, Sarah Langan. Uh, we've got an interview with that in the works. Um, the next thing coming out from me uh, is, um, right, like Underworld Dreams is out right now. And uh, one of the stories that originally appeared uh, in a book called uh, Pareidolia and is reprinted in Underworld Dreams is appearing in uh, the uh, Best Horror of the Year, Volume 12, uh, edited by Ellen Datlow. Um, that book's, I think it's a little bit delayed, but I think that's coming out in the end. Uh, should be here the end of uh, end of October. Awesome. Congratulations, Daniel. Yeah, yeah thank congrats. you so much. 
And uh, and uh, yourself, Matt? Anything exciting you want to plug? Well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that's been our podcast. <laughs> well, uh, for those, for any of you who, who don't know me, uh, every Monday I have my own podcast has a brand new episode coming out called Grindcast. So you can look forward to that. It's a pop culture co- uh, podcast. We talk about video games, movies, all that sort of fun stuff. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the show, I will have the uh, Ghost Writers podcast with myself, Mary San Giovanni, Dave Thomas, and Summer Cannon. Uh, as far as works, uh, this month right now, I am in the editing process of having a short up for my Horizontal group on Facebook. So if you're in the mood to get free short stories every month, you can just search for that uh, name on Facebook and uh, you'll, you can join the group there. Uh, I have volume three of the Horizontal collection coming out next month. Out now is The Demon in the Glass, my novella. And then uh, down the road... At some point, there's going to be uh, another novella of mine called Melancholia. It's going to get uh, printed through Death's Head Press. And I'm hoping, uh, I'm still in the talks with uh, Paul from Thunderstorm. I wanted to get an omnibus put together of all the horizontal volumes and uh, have a nice big hardcover out there for that. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, that would rock. All of that sounds awesome. Um, Thank you. I will definitely be checking out the new podcast. Uh, all four of those people, yourself included, um, are awesome. Uh, Mary, Dave, Summer, super, super cool people and super, super smart people. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and uh, Laurel, Rich, Laurel, anything else to input? Any more snark? Just, just to report that uh, Daniel says he lost connection. Oh, no. I think I might be back now. Am I oh, back? Good, you're you back. Okay. okay. Oh, there he is. Yep. Okay. Well, then I have nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. You cured his connection. That was. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Tech master over here. Uh, Rich. Yeah. Nothing other than uh, you know it was great talking with you again, Daniel and uh, Matt. It was great having you on the show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Any anytime you'd like me to join in, just give me a holler, and I I would be happy to come on again. You can bet we will be victim. I mean, taking you up on that. <laughs> so. um, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, we hope to have both of you back on very soon for whatever reason. We love talking to you. Yes, definitely. And this is Inc. Oh, it was great. It was great. Great hanging with you all. Thank you so much for yes, having thanks, me. Yes, thanks, Daniel. Thanks. Have a good night, guys. Have a great one. Peace, guys. Bye. 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 Peace. (laughs) Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs)